window of opportunity, a Stargate rewatch podcast. That was very singy. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 7, Episode 6, Lifeboat. I try to do the intro a little bit different every time, and so that's what we get today. (laughs) Okay. I mean, I'm fine with that. It's all right. (laughs) It's good. I'm cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, this, okay, this uh, just... This episode is another one of, like, when I think Stargate, like, this episode is, like, top five Stargate episodes, like, of all time. This episode's amazing. Just, yeah. Were it's, were there awards won for this one? Uh, yes. Yes, there were. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. Excellent. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Marvelous. Yep. Mm-hmm. Should I spoil for you now or wait till the end when I usually do that kind of thing? <laughs> oh, well, we can we can do, do to the end and you know, okay. everything in the normal order. Okay. All right, well, should we get into the episode then so we can get to the end and I can tell you who won what? Okay. Okay. So this is Lifeboat. It originally aired on July 18th, 2003. It was written by Brad Wright and directed by Peter DeLuise. And on the commentary, we have Peter DeLuise and Peter West, director of photography. Was there a cameo? I saw online there was, but I watched and I didn't see it. Like somebody mentioned that Peter was supposed to be one of the people in one of like the pods, but even on the commentary, he usually points himself out and he didn't point himself out. And I like rewound that scene like several times and I didn't see him anywhere. So I'm guessing no, not this. I thought that would have been the perfect place, but I didn't see anything. Yeah, no, I didn't see anything. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. So in this episode, while examining a crashed alien ship called the Stromos, Dr. Daniel Jackson is struck by a power surge. After returning to Stargate Command, it is discovered that several consciousnesses from the people who are trapped in stasis pods on the ship are now in Daniel's head. <gasps> Interesting concept. It is, yes. One that has been done many times in basically every sci-fi franchise that exists, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. They're all... Unique to their own world. So, yep. Uh, I do want to say something that Peter brought up in the commentary because it's something we've talked about a bit this season with um, Rick's reduced shooting schedule. The during the filming of this episode is actually when Rick's father passed away. Oh. So definitely reduced Rick, and basically every shot of Jack that's not his face is his stand-in. Mm-hmm. And all of the shots that, like, are of, like, you know, his face and stuff were filmed, like, way at the very end and even into when, like, the next episode started shooting. Uh, oh, okay. Mostly with stand-ins doing the other work, like, off-camera for him, except Peter did say that when Jack is up in, like, the observation room, Michael and Terrell did come back to do the stuff that they had to do for mm-hmm. him to react to to make sure he was really getting... The real stuff and not just people blandly reading lines kind yeah. of thing. So that was nice of them. Yes. So if they're if Jack's a bit off this episode, that's probably why, because Rick is yeah. a bit off. Yes. Well, poo. Okay, so this episode opens with SG-1 off-world examining a crashed spaceship that has crashed in the middle of like a large rocky desert. There was some kind of beacon that the MALP picked up, which Sam posits was automatically activated when this ship crashed, and it seems unlikely that there are many survivors. Inside, they, you know, they're like, let's see if we can find anything anyway about, like, maybe why it crashed, who who this was, whatever, and they do find stuff. They find a whole bunch of frozen people. Sam starts to go on, like, a techno-bamble rant, and Jack's just like, it's a bunch of frozen people, and she's like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 
that's when. So the ship is like massive. So Jack splits them up into like him and Daniel and then Sam and Tilk to go like spread out and get a head count so that they can report back to the SGC and maybe figure out how to proceed. Are any of these people actually alive? What could they do to help, if anything? We see Jack counting. He gets up to 106 and like, nope, that one's actually skeleton. So he's at 105. And then as Daniel's counting, there's this loud sort of screeching noise. And as he yells for Jack, we see this bright ball of light basically just flying down the hallway. Everybody gets knocked out, including Sam and Tilk, Jack, Daniel, everybody's out. And we cut to the opening credits. We never actually find out what the big ball of light thing actually is, though. We do not know. No. Or how it affected everybody at the same time. Yeah, like, is there a central point and it went out? Because it seems like if you remember, like, what the exterior of the ship looked like, it did look there were were basically four main compartments that probably housed all of these stasis pods. Mm -hmm. So was it, is there, like, one button and it just, like, went out to all four from some central location? Who knows? Possibly. But after that. They took a long time to convey that everybody was knocked out. I don't I don't know why, but I thought the shots where they, you know, rounded everybody's face to show you that they were passed out. For some reason, it just felt long to do it to yeah. every single person. A bit. Yeah. I mean, I do understand needing to show everybody since they were all spread out and in different parts of the ships. But there's definitely like pan up everybody's body to land on their face, pan around to land. It's like just face, yeah. face, face, face. Yeah. Bum, bum, bum. What? I don't know. Maybe they were a little short. Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> so when we come back, Tilk has, of course, woken up first because he always does. Uh, he calls for his teammates over the radio, but nobody answers. So he gets up and starts running through the ship. For some reason, he finds Jack first when, like, shouldn't he find Sam if he was, like, split off with Sam to investigate the same part of the so. ship? You think? Yeah. But anyway, but he find he finds Jack unconscious but alive. The same with Sam. Daniel he finds also unconscious, but Daniel is now like sitting up against the like the cryogenic chambers and one of the doors is open. And as he comes to, he kind of like turns his head, notices Tilk, and just screams. Like yeah. he's completely terrified. Yeah. So back at the SGC, they're receiving SG4's IDC and a message that they also have SG1. We see Sam and Jack being brought through on stretchers, still unconscious. Uh, One of the members of SG4 indicates to Dr. Frazier that their vitals are stable, aside from the unconsciousness. Frazier orders them to the infirmary with medical and security protocols in place. Tilk then follows, like, cradling Daniel as they, they, like, they both walk through, but Daniel's, like not okay uh he's looking quite frightened he keeps muttering i have to go back he finally kind of breaks away from tilk runs back towards the gate but the wormhole closes before he can reach it and he's just like devastated dr Fraser's trying to calm him down and daniel then looks up at her and asks who she is and where he is and he like his voice definitely does not sound like daniel's voice so what is going on hmm. yeah little little fishy Yes. Uh, a quick scene in the infirmary with Hammond checking on Sam and Jack, who are still unconscious. And he's like, you know, just keep me informed of what's going on. 
So we then move over to an isolation room where we see Daniel is now in white scrubs and his like wrists are bound to his waist with those like leather hospital restraints that they sometimes mm-hmm. put on people. Yeah. He's like he's pacing around the room, he's ranting at Dr. Fraser in a voice that's it's still not quite Daniel's voice. He's very upset about the situation that he was assured could not happen. And Frazier's trying to explain that we also have no idea what has happened, but he's like, I'm done. I will not submit to any further testing. And then he like brings his hand up to his head and takes a deep breath as if he's in pain. And Dr. Frazier's like, are you in pain? He's like, yes, great deal of pain. And Frazier's like, okay, I can do something about that. But if you don't calm down, you're going to be restrained further. And as she goes to leave, he just says, you have no idea who I am, do you? Hmm. I don't know. No, we don't. And I don't like your tone of voice, young man. Mm-mm. No, yes. Uh, up in the observation room, we see Hammond and Tilk have been watching all of this. And like that man is definitely not Daniel Jackson. Uh, Fraser assures them, though, that he is also not a Gould. She's not entirely sure what's going on, but the EEG readings they've taken are truly bizarre. On one hand, it looks like he's in a coma. And on the other hand, there's like a whole bunch of people all mixed up together. And there's also the matter of his behavior, like how he was acting when Tilk first, like he first, like he first woke up on the ship with Tilk, how he was when he first arrived in the gate room and how he's acting now. Like those are all very different. Different weird things. Yes. Yes. Uh, Tilk says that the man is claiming to be one of the passengers from the crashed ship. No idea how that's possible, but that does seem to be what's happening because that's definitely not Daniel. Who else could it be? Uh, who knows how many people are in there with him, given how many people there were on the ship. And then we see not Daniel throw like a, a pitcher or a cup of water at this two-way mirror that's separating the observation room from the isolation room. The text in the room basically just like pick him up and like slap. They don't like, cause he doesn't like lay down, but they just like pick him up and he just, just sit him down on the gurney and just like hold him there. Like, yeah. no, don't do that. Bad. So Tilk then gives them a quick rundown of like what happened on the ship and how he found the others unconscious. Speaking of that, Frazier's like, I should go check. And Hammond, again, just keep him updated. And he also suggests that Tilk should go get checked out himself. But no, Tilk's going to stay there to watch over his friend. Back down in the isolation room, not Daniel is trying to explain to the techs or who's ever there watching over him that, you know, he's he's, he's a very rational man. This like this is not, this is very out of character for him. And as the others address him as Dr. Jackson, he corrects them that he is a sovereign of Talthus and his name is Martise. One of the guys says, you know, like, oh, so sorry, sir. And he's like, oh, sir, that's better. Like, oh, OK, so this yeah. guy's got a bit of an ego, whoever he yep. is. Yeah. Yep. OK, mm, getting somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frazier's back in like the main infirmary looking over Sam and Jack and she comments that it looks like they were basically hit by a massive Zat blast but at least their EEG readings are normal like there's none of that weirdness they were seeing with Daniel there and then Jack wakes up he's got massive headache but otherwise feels fine and most importantly feels like himself she Dr. Frazier tells him that Tilk was able to get them home and he asks after Sam and Daniel and Frazier's like Sam's in the same condition and then Sam wakes up great cool massive headache but otherwise okay fantastic Hammond comes in to check on them and Frazier tells him that Sam and Jack appear to be unaffected and Jack asks 
unaffected by what? Uh, what? Also, yep. where's Daniel? And he tries to get up and Fraser's like, no, don't do that, please. And he's like, I'm fine. You're not fine. And then he's like, flops back down on the bed and is like, yeah, okay, I'm not, I'm not fine. Okay. So I'm going to throw out a controversial thought. Okay. Controversial, just because I know so many people love, love, love the Daniel of this. Um, it would, it would take some reworking in the script, but I thought this episode would have been way more fascinating if all three of them had multiple personalities in there. If all three of them had gotten passengers along with them. Yeah, I did. I did see a couple comments from that because I like to read through message boards too about these episodes yeah. just to see people have questions or like interesting comments and theories about things. And I did, that was one thing I did see brought up a couple times. And I, I don't fully agree. Like maybe like Daniel and Sam, but I think if all of them had, I, that would have, I just think that would have been too much. Maybe too been, much. Yeah. I think it would have been a little too much to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. I do like, like, Obviously, this episode is magnificent acting all the way around. But, yeah, I do feel like episodes like this, which Stargate has a lot of, you can definitely tell, like, who the star of the show is. And I I, I enjoy it more when things are happening to the team rather than, like, one person on the team and everyone else is just like, oh, my God, we must save them. Yeah, I can see that. That's true. But then there's also, like, what what does this character do that can help the story, you know? And if like, if Sam's got a bunch of passengers in her, she can't work on the tech to get the passengers out because she's stuck being like crazy brain, you know? True. But like, but I do get what you're saying. I do really enjoy like the team episodes where it is SG one versus the problem. Yeah. But yeah, I get what you're saying though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So back in the isolation room, Martise is yelling for what, like the the little woman, the small woman, I think the tiny woman, tiny woman, woman something, because yeah. like he's still in like a massive amount of pain, but everybody's just ignoring him. Finally, Janet comes back in, and again, must reiterate that the SGC has nothing to do with what has happened to him. Not that he seems to mind now, because Daniel's body is apparently much nicer than his was, mm-hmm. uh, but. You know, he he's just so worried about how his people will recognize him in this, like, disastrous time that they're apparently going through. I don't believe you. I don't think that's really going to work. No. No. So they finally get around to the topic of where he is exactly, and Fraser answers as vaguely as possible. And Martise then wants to know how far away they are from Ardina, because that's where they were going. Obviously, no idea. We have no idea where Ardina is, anything like that. Frazier also tries to hint at the possibility that there are other passengers in his head right now, but like Martise is just like not getting it. And he like lowers his head like in pain again. And when he lifts it up, he seems to be different. And this person says he's not Martise. He's just a crew member. He then spots his face in the mirror, walks over to sort of examine it more closely. And he's, he seems like disturbed by this and is like, no, no, this is all a mistake. And Frazier's like, yes, this is a mistake. And we would like, to help fix this mm-hmm. introduces herself to whoever this new person is. And this is Tryon, who's an engineer. And luckily this man is much more calm and pragmatic than Martise was. And while he does seem rather sort of like upset at the situation, he's not like confrontational or argumentative. He's, he is trying to work with Fraser 
as disturbed and upset as he may be. Yeah. Uh, Frazier explains briefly how he came to be here and asks what it is he remembers. Uh, we have a brief flashback and he just remembers leaving Talthus and going into the cryo chamber. And then he was here. Um, I like that we actually do get flashbacks. Yes. I will say yeah. they did talk about in the commentary how like the, the accents that Michael did like weren't scripted. Like he just came and started doing those. So, you know, the vo he, he is doing slightly different vocal inflections for everybody. Mm -hmm. So when he started doing this voice for Talthus, Peter DeLuise had to call the guy they cast and were like, can you do like a mid-Atlantic Bostonian accent? And he's like, I'm sorry, <laughs> what? So, yeah. So that's why that guy's voice maybe sounds a little, when he like says that line, like the compartment is secure, sir, I think is his one line in it. But because there was funny. no advance warning, it was just like, you have to do this in a couple hours. Can you do this accent, please? Yeah. So... Anyway, but I mean, I like it, like it works, I think, for yeah the characters they have to go through. Anyway, so uh, tell, or try and then like notice the restraints and Fraser's like, yeah, because there's a bunch of other people in there that aren't as nice as you. And like trying is the fourth entity that has presented itself along with Dr. Jackson, who's in there too. And he's like, that's not possible. That would just result in insanity. And there were like fail safes to prevent such a thing. And like Frazier's like, well, it has happened. So how? Like, yep. look how in the mirror. Yeah. How do we fix this? It has happened. What do we do from here? Uh, so he, he thinks for a bit and explains sort of that though. So the passengers consciousnesses are stored separately, but in the same pod as the body. And the only way a consciousness could go into a body other than its own is if, oh shit, is if the body is dead. <gasps> no. Oh crap. That's oh no. Bad news. Bad bad news. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, Hammond, Sam, and Jack then go into the observation room and still is very pleased to see Sam and Jack up and about. And uh, so they, they're asking for updates about Daniel and he's in this isolation room because as Tilk says, Daniel Jackson's preliminary electroencephalogram proved anomalous. I practiced that because I knew I was going to have to say it. So Daniel well Jackson, done. Thank you. Can you uh, Daniel Jackson's preliminary electroencephalogram proved anomalous. Yay. Uh, Jack dares him to say that again. Uh, there's a bit of like a stare down and as Tilt goes to do just that, Hammond interrupts that a code 17 was declared. And apparently this is the code that's used when someone is suspected of being a ghouled. They assure Sam and Jack he's not, but they're still keeping him in isolation until they can determine what exactly has happened. And Sam's like, the only way to do that is like, go back and look at the cryosystems on the ship. And Hammond's like, fine, meet with Dr. Frazier to figure out what info they'll need on this mission. Jack requests permission to stay. Yes, even though only medical personnel are allowed in the room. So, okay, Jack's going to stay there looking over Daniel. And Tilk leaves with the others as Jack takes a seat. Mm-hmm. So Tryon and Frazier are trying to work through what exactly happened with Frazier trying to keep positive and maybe his body is not dead. Maybe, you know, we can figure this out. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, her main question right now is why they separate the consciousness from the body. And apparently these people have apparently found that if they don't do that, there's a massive loss in the person's memory and intellect during the very long journey to wherever they're going. Each pod has its own quote unquote 
active matrix memory module to contain only that person's consciousness. So each pod has its own module. Frazier asks if the consciousnesses currently in Daniel's body can be uploaded back into one of the modules. And he's like, no, there's only enough space in the module for one consciousness. So what if they do it one at a time and try and insist that it's not possible? He likens it to like he takes a glass of water, pours it back into like a larger pitcher of water. He's like, can the water molecules that were in this glass ever be returned to the glass exactly as they were? Sadly, no. Basically, these consciousnesses are too entangled to be separated. Which is weird. I mean, you know, TV, sci-fi and all. But like, it's... It's a very weird, and it was actually a really good analogy of, of explaining that, but like, mm-hmm. then it's weird how they all come out as unique personalities, and on the yeah. EEG and stuff, they could see different streams of things, however that relates to it, so. Yeah, it's like, I kind of wonder if maybe, you know, part of their science is advanced in some ways and other parts not yeah. so much, you know, maybe they don't quite have brain science yeah, although they have to in some way to be able to separate the consciousness from the body but you know yeah the brain is a complex uh organ so who who really knows how it works i don't know i don't know <laughs> you would have think you would have thought that at some point in time they would have been like hey what if these accidentally get mixed we should yeah find a way to mark each person or yeah maybe they were just like let's just make sure that never ever 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 happens because otherwise yeah that 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 seems to be like the way like everybody's talking about fail safes is like this should not be possible like there were systems to prevent this thing from happening so i think they were going with the let's just make sure it can't happen and guess what now it's happened oops whoops um so okay like, that's not great, but, you know, if the computers are able to isolate the consciousness from the body, then why can't it isolate them from each other? Like you just said, Fraser has some very good questions. Uh, Trying then interrupts and is like, oh, I can hear it. And, like, he can, basically, he's start he's starting to hear everybody else that's in there with him. And he seems to find it, like, quite fascinating. Like, he doesn't seem disturbed by it, which is interesting. And, you know, Fraser tries to implore him to hang on because... He's been really helpful, and it would be great if he could stick around. Cause, mm-hmm. We uh, like that one. We like him. Please stay. Uh, and then he does sort of that doubling over in pain thing, and he's, when he snaps out of it, it's Daniel. <gasps> Yay! So we then cut to the briefing room where Fraser's giving everybody an update on the situation. Daniel was only out for a moment, but it was definitely him, which is really good news. Uh, they brought Dr. McKenzie asshole uh in to do some further analysis of daniel's eeg and mri readings and what they think has happened is that daniel himself has gone into what you could call a coma to protect himself from everybody else that's bouncing around in there and they think there could be as many as 12 other people in daniel's head right now sam might be able to do what fraser was suggesting earlier about separating daniel from everybody else Hammond's not super keen on that plan of them like going back to the ship because they were attacked last time. And Sam's like, maybe it was just some kind of automated defense system. And Tilk's like, I don't think so, because he tells them that, you know, when he found Daniel, he was actually sitting up next to one of the open chambers. And there's no way he would have gotten into one of those things voluntarily. So 
why would someone do this if it was like purposefully done why yeah uh, so Fraser mentions Tryon's belief that the physical bodies of these people are dead and so perhaps he just did this in a desperate attempt to save his people and as Sam says so Daniel has become a lifeboat <gasps> what like the show name like the we get the episode title and conversation Yay. Uh, so Sam then recommends SG-12 go back with them so they can search for whoever might have done this while Sam pokes around in their systems and Hammond agrees to that so they're going to go off and do that back in the isolation room there's now a little boy speaking through Daniel he's quite he's scared cute little kid he does such a good job of being <sighs> the little kid have... yeah he does yeah, uh, no. he, you know, he, he's quite scared obviously and we learn that his name is Keenan and we get a very quick cut to Sam Tilkin SG-12 heading off world. So Fraser, okay, just this whole this whole scene, this whole scene. I don't know how Michael Shanks manages to just become like a seven-year-old boy, but he does. But also, yeah, does a really good job. Yeah. Also, like it would not work if Terrell was there reacting in the way she is like what she's doing as Dr. Frazier. And they do talk about it in the commentary because if you have a grown man trying to be a little boy, it could very quickly go into, oh my God, I'm so scared I miss my mommy kind of mm -hmm. cliche stuff. And he doesn't do that because he's a very good actor. Like he's done Hamlet. He knows what he's doing. And it's just like, oh. It's nice. But, oh, it's so good. But it really is both of them working together because if Frazier isn't treating this as reality if she's not believing what's happening then we're not going to believe what's happening mm -hmm. it really is both of them working together in these scenes that really sells yeah what's happening yep yeah okay so what's actually going on in the scene <laughs> so you know fraser is like very gently talking to keenan asking him what he remembers and we then get another flashback to the stromos where we see keenan remembering his father and it seems the ship was built as there was some kind of massive flare that was going to happen to their son that was going to destroy their planet. And that by the time they reached Ardena, hundreds of years will have passed and everything will be a distant memory. We then come back to like the present in the isolation room and we learn further information that another star that had burnt out its fuel was going to pass close enough to their sun, causing it to flare and destroying Talthus, their planet. They had built three ships, but they had to have a lottery to see who would get to go because even that wasn't enough room for everybody. And Keenan got lucky because his dad was an officer on the Stromo, so he automatically got to bring one person with him. And his mom made his dad take him. And Keenan like starts crying because like he didn't want that. He wanted to stay with his mom because she wasn't chosen, and like all the sovereigns were chosen, but she wasn't chosen, and he just collapses into Dr. Frazier's lap and starts sobbing and it's just like I dad I start sobbing too because this little boy just misses his mommy and it's terrible and I hate yeah. it it's, it's good it's so good but I hate it oh yeah it's so sad and so did they call the little kid and they were like you have to act like Michael Shanks because those two did a lot of similar vocal inflections and stuff too 
No, that one went the other way where Michael did what the little kid did. Okay, that's yes. much better. <laughs> like with like with the big eyes and the how he was very like sort of like chin down, mm-hmm. you know, like looking up like big eye. Yeah, that was where Michael did what that's the good. kid did. So Michael had some inspiration. That's good. It, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they call up the kid and you, can you do a Bostonian accent real quick? Thanks. <laughs> Not so much now. No. No. Okay. Uh, and then suddenly, not not Daniel's voice changes, and it's 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 Martise, and he goes, "What are you doing?" With his head still in Doctor Fraser's lap. Yeah. And Fraser Fraser jumps off the gurney, like scurries away as Martise demands to know what's being done about the situation. Uh, we then start like jumping back and forth between the isolation room and the Stromos. And so we see SG-12 is starting their search of the ship, and Sam notices that the power readings are very low. Tilk suggests waking up one of the people still there to maybe figure out what happened, and Sam's not sure they even have enough power to do that. Back at the SGC, Martise demands to speak to someone in charge, and Fraser's like, too bad, it's just me. That's me. It's it. I'm it. He then asks about the boy and why he's involved, so it seems that, like, Martise heard Keenan talking before he reemerged, yeah, which like they're is all kind of existing together now a bit. Yes. Uh, back on the ship, Sam's going to need an equity generator if they want to have any chance of keeping these people alive. Took then like holds up his hand, like he's heard something and kind of moves off to the side. But Sam kind of just keeps talking casually. So as not to alert whoever that might be that they're aware he's there and we see that man we saw as Keenan's dad in the flashback kind of step around the corner. Tilt like grabs him by the throat, shoves him up against the wall, and Sam races are gone. This man, he's obviously distressed, very scared. He looks like he's been crying and says, please don't hurt us. Mm, oh, man. Mm-hmm. Martise and Fraser are at an impasse. He's being completely obstinate and rude. He also doesn't seem to fully grasp the situation the situation as it actually is and just this like this this scene like if we thought the other scene just this scene oh my god holy uh, crap yes oh, yes like michael terrell they're so good they're just like yelling at each other like the confrontation between them and you know, martise is like you don't know who you're talking to and janice i don't give a damn you don't belong in that man's body and i intend to take it back like, oh yeah she had the power line Oh, it's so good. It's so good. I love it so much. It's fantastic. Powerline. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it is like, it is skirting the edge of like, burst do no harm a little bit. Thing. Yeah. But also like, you, yeah, oh, I do not like this man, whoever he is. Yep. Martise, get out. Don't yep. belong there. Yeah. So we then see Sam and Tilk talking to Farron, who's Keenan's father. And we come to learn that he's like Daniel and is now acting as a lifeboat for some of his people. And it was the only way he could think to try and save them. He tries to like beg Sam and Tilk to do the same thing. And they're like, that's not going to happen. And Tilk asks why he even did this when their bodies are dead. And he's like, they're the last of our people. I have to do something. And he said he's sent a signal to the other ships and he's sure that they'll come and help. And okay, so why have you not tried to wake up the other passengers? And as Farron tells his story, we see a flashback of what happened just after the crash. 
There's still no idea why the ship crashed in the first place, but he was automatically revived by the by the computer, and that unfortunately put too great a strain on the system, and he had minutes to get power up on the 12 pods that he took on the consciousnesses of. It was like it was the only way. It was the only thing he could think of to do before just everybody died. Yeah. Uh, because there's a thousand people on board. There is no way to restore power for everybody and having even one more person to help would be great. And Farron even at one point left the ship to try and find help, but there's just, there's nothing out there. There's not even enough food and drink on the Stromos, even if he was able to revive everyone. And during this whole thing, we also see Farron kind of like talking to himself and fighting against everybody that's in there with him. Yes, they do say, yeah, they're, they're, the scene later with Daniel's definitely 100% Lord of the Rings ripoff. Yeah. Um, one of these personalities seems to be arguing that they should have asked SG-1 to take on some of the people, but Till confirms that there's no way they would have agreed to that. Sam mentions that there are other ways for them to be, have been able to help, like, you know, power, for one. Like, she could have the ship back up and running in just a few hours, they might even able, be able to get them somewhere like Ardina through not a ship, but a device they call the Stargate. And he's like, that's impossible. And they're like, well, we'll take you back with us, show you that this is true, but only if you put Daniel back to how he was. He's like, I can't, That no, he can't do that. And Sam's like, we're not asking. Yeah. <laughs> you will do this. There's no option here. And like, there's nowhere for them to go. And Sam just really wants to know, like, is it even physically possible to undo what was done to Daniel? Like, yes, there is. And then oh, this exchange between Sam and Farron, huh, I cry every time. It's terrible. Yeah. Love it. It's so good. And Sam's like, do you understand that what we're offering could save everyone on this ship? And Farron's like, do you understand that one of the souls your friend carries is my son? No. No. Yeah. And apparently this was the audition scene for Farron. Oh. So, yeah. And, like, as soon as they saw this guy's tape, they were, everybody was just like, yep, him. He's 100%. Got it. This yeah. guy's got it. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's him. I do wish that we would have found out, number one, how long uh, the ship had been crashed. Yes. And then how long Farron had been on there by himself. Yes. I mean, there is... I mean, judging by his stubble, we could maybe make some assumptions on that. Yeah. And the fact that there does seem to be some power, I don't think it's been that long that the ship has been crashed. Like, a couple weeks, maybe. Yeah. I don't... Yeah, I don't think it's been, like, months or anything like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it was interesting with, you know, all the timing, how whenever they would talk about their history, they would be traveling for their equivalent of hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Space time. That's a different conversation. But yeah. then it's so you think that, like, they would have been there for hundreds of years, but not really if that's just how long they had been going through space on um, crashed on this planet might not have actually been that long and so I was just trying to figure that all out in my head 
Yeah, and then there's also like how soon after launch did they crash? Right. Like like how yeah. like, like at what point in their journey yeah. did this crash happen? Yeah. Again, unknown. Yeah. And we never actually find out what happened to the other two ships. Nope. We do not. No, unfortunately no. not. No. no. Hopefully they made it to Ardina and their people are not wiped off the map. Yeah, hopefully they Hopefully they will be reunited. Yes. Okay, so back in the isolation room, Martise continues his complaining about the pain. So Fraser then orders a stronger dose of pain medication to be ready. But luckily that won't be necessary because Tryon is back and he seems to have a much higher tolerance for pain than Martise and Janet and all of us are just like, oh, thank God. <laughs> thank God <laughs> the sane one is back. Cause, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Sam then comes in and is like, Janet... I need to talk to you. So they head out. And then up in the observation room, Tilk rejoins Hammond and Jack, who have been filled in apparently on this uh, Farron situation. And we see then down in the isolation room, Farron enters with Fraser and Sam. Tryon stands and introduces himself. And uh, they talk about this a bit in the commentary, how so Tryon is uh, um, subordinate to Farron, like Farron's above him in rank. And then, like, when Martise comes in, like, Farron is subordinate to Martise, and there's this whole kind of interesting power structure mm-hmm. that happens between these people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway, so Farron explains, like, what happened and that the SGC has a solution to this problem, but only if Daniel is returned to his normal self. And Tryon's like, got it. I understand. I'll do whatever is asked of me. Yeah. But uh, apparently Martise is there listening in the background because he immediately comes out and he's like, I won't. No, yeah. I'm no, not. No, no. Nope. Take me back to the Stromos immediately. And Farron like drops to his knee and he like he must obey because he's sworn to protect the sovereign. And Jack's like for crying out loud and storms into the isolation room, yanks Farron back up to his feet and basically threatens to kill the sovereign. Possibly everybody else that's in there. If Farron doesn't do what he promised to do. Martise and Jack like fight over Farron's attention and what they need him to do with also trying getting in there. And this is where we get like the Smeagol Gollum. Yeah. 100% Lord of the Rings ripoff situation, which is totally fine because it works. Yeah. Farron finally gives in and he's going to do what he promised to do. And, you know, the like Martise and Tryon start arguing even more. And Tryon's like, we must do this and everybody will die. And Martise is like, let them. It's like, Oh, Ooh. true colors coming out right there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Farron apologizes, but this is what they have to do to save their people. They've been trying to do this for the last, I think he says 12 years. Mm-hmm. They've been trying to do this and we see like his head drop. And when it comes back up, it's Keenan. Oh my heart. Yeah. Oh my God. It's just the work. Huh. And even though, Michael is taller than this guy. He's somehow a seven-year-old boy talking to his father. And I, oh, anyway, it's like, and like Keenan must make the sacrifice as well, but they'll be together and all the people of Talthus will be saved. And it's, it's very bittersweet for sure. Back on the Stromos, we see Daniel and Farron hooked up to two of the cryopods and they've managed to get everybody out of Daniel's head and into Farron. They they think maybe so hopefully gonna have like twenty four people in there. Y- yep. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. 
But the good news is, you know, Daniel's EEG is totally back to normal. And Farron will remain unconscious until the others on the ship can be revived to take care of him. Take take care of them. And we see Sam and Tilk head back into the room as the power comes back up and the generator is doing its job. And they should be able to start reviving the passengers within a few hours. And then SG-4 can come and start the whole relocation process. Uh, Frazier says Daniel will probably be out for a while, but oh, ne- no, never mind. He- he's awake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yay. Yeah. Massive headache. Yeah, na- nail in the head kind of thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. But but he's back. So, yay. The end. I do wish we would have gotten more of an epilogue with these people. I would have liked to have seen that of, you know, knowing whether they could wake them up, knowing whether their technology can separate all of the people yes. in Farron's head. Yeah. Were were they able to find Ardina even? Yeah. Were yeah. they able to find is if they have, you know, star charts or whatever that's compatible with Earth technology somehow and they could maybe decipher where it is and if there's a stargate there fingers crossed maybe and if the other ships made it yeah yeah. did the other ships make it yeah this 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 is one even if it's a comment in like an episode three months from now just a wrap-up of hey we found ardina everybody's fine yeah yeah i definitely i definitely wanted an epilogue on this one for sure yes me too i agree yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i like Um, it me too uh, so for this episode, Michael Shanks did win the Leo Award, it's rightly deserved. Yay! Uh, Terrell was nominated. Unfortunately, she did not win. No. But poo. she was nominated. But yes. Yay! Yep. Well done. Yes. Uh, so the episode title, Lifeboat. Obviously, you know it's a bit like Daniel Farron are. Uh, there's only one fun foreign territory title, and that's in France. It was called Phantom Ship. Oh, Phantom Ship. I yeah. like it. Yeah, it's not bad. I don't know if it quite works, but it's not bad. Mm. I love this episode. It's so good. I remembered this one. <gasps> wow. I know. Fantastic. I know. It made an impact. I will say one of the other things I remember is one of the things that's mentioned in the commentary that they 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 did their best to try and hide because apparently when the episode was first pitched to like the art department there was only like four pages of script taking place on the Stromos ship itself mm-hmm. so like there there wasn't really going to be a lot of time on the ship so there's that one panel of that's supposed to be like technical stuff like there's you know the the pods and then there's like a panel of stuff that's supposed to be like various styles and things but it's just a flat surface and I still remember from the commentary, it looks like Peter DeLuise calls it like pig's teats. <laughs> like, okay. Looks like the underbelly of pig, like oh, a female pig. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but you can tell they try not to focus on it and they try and put people like in front of it as much as possible because it is just like a flat drawing. Like there's no actual dials and knobs like it's oh, supposed that's funny. to be. So, yeah. But that is funny. Mm-hmm. Yep. The pink teeth wall. Yep. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yep. But I liked it. I thought it was good. I wish we had seen the Sovereign, seen a flashback with the Sovereign. I wanted yeah. to know. 
I wanted to know how old he actually was. Yes. I mean, he definitely struck me as you like an older. Yeah. Older person for sure. Yeah. 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 I'm sad that we didn't get to see him. Yeah. That would have been interesting. But yeah, I do like that we did get flashbacks, even as brief as they were. Mm-hmm. I think that that really helped tie what we saw Michael doing as those people to like actual people and not just yeah. weird voices that Michael Shanks is doing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the weird voices in Michael Shanks' head. Weird voices that Michael Shanks does. Um, yes. So, yeah. These are all the characters he didn't get to play in Hollywood movies. Yes. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Was well that done, it? everyone. Yep. Yes. That was it. Like all it. right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. You can find us on threads and Instagram at SG underscore rewatch and on discord. You can find the link in the show notes or send us an email at woo. That's W O O S G rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next time for enemy mine. Bye. Bye.